Welcome back to Resball, where today is the one-year anniversary of Resball. I'm recording this on October 19th, 2023, which is one year exactly from the first time I ever dropped an episode. Today, we're joined by Andy, a.k.a. Data-driven Piston fan, as we discuss the Pistons' third preseason game. They're wrapping up the preseason, about to start the regular season, so let's talk Pistons right now. Everybody, we are recording on October 19th, 2023. Pistons have just played their third preseason game, the second preseason game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, where they won 118 to 116, I believe. And Andy and I are here to talk about it. Dan Driven Piston fan, you might know him by Andy. Let everybody know where they can find you first and foremost. Find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. It was a fun game tonight. It was fun to watch the young guys play and compete, and it was nice. It was enjoyable. I'm happy. Well, let's kill that happiness, Andy. We're going to start off this conversation with the thing that Andy and I probably are the most concerned about, and that is Cade and Ivy. I asked Andy to find some numbers for us, and I was wondering, because this preseason, the Ivy moving to the bench is probably the biggest story that the Piston fandom has been following and scratching their head and fighting and <laughs> calling each other names over. So I asked Andy, how many minutes have Kate and Ivy played together this preseason? What did you find, Andy? So this preseason, they've been on the court together for seven minutes and 31 seconds. And in this game tonight, they were they shared the court for two minutes and thirty seven seconds, and then in the first game in the preseason against Phoenix, they were on the court together for four minutes and fifty four seconds. So, not a lot of time together. I don't like to gatekeep or like tell people their fandom like how they should feel, but this is probably the exception to the rule. How should people feel about this? Seven minutes. Anybody- they haven't even reached double-digit minutes together on the court in the preseason. How should fans, fans feel about this? Well, I mean, I guess the, the positive you could take out of it is that they've only really played three quarters in each game. So they didn't play the fourth quarter, which gives them a little bit of time. But when you're looking at players who right now in the preseason are probably playing like 23 minutes a game, and during the regular season, it'll be closer to 30. If you look at a percentage, it's still probably like maybe 20, 25% of their time together on the court. They're on there together. And for me, big picture, it's a concern because you wanted this to be a thing that works together. Um, but I think the regular season will tell us a lot. Hopefully, in the beginning of the season, we get some close games because we want to see who's closing. Are they putting Ivy back in or 
are they really looking at him as like a sixth man trying to score? And they don't really think he's the guy who's going to win games for them at the end of the game in crunch time. Yeah, worrisome would be the word that I would use. I do not know how you spin this if you're a fan. If your coach or like your beat writer, good on you, that's a whole nother conversation. But as a fan, the fact that this team has yet to play Kate and Ivy together meaningful minutes, I know it's still the preseason. It's worrisome. It's just like, why, 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 why are you not putting these guys together? on the court when they're supposed to be the cornerstones of your offense. You think most of the fans think number one and number two guys in terms of like franchise pecking order, the top guys in terms of like assets or star power, however you want to say it. Everybody said Cade was the guy. Everybody got really excited about Ivy last year. And so far this coaching staff doesn't want to play them together. Why Andy, what could possibly be a reason? I have no clue. Um, and the only reason why I say that is because, and we'll talk about this later, but some of our, our vet pieces are not playing. And like one thing I could, I could consider is maybe they don't want to have Ivy on the court if they are going to play Boyan because it's just too many poor defenders that they can't have both of them on the court at the same time. Um, Maybe they feel like they're too similar in what they want to run and would rather keep them separated and staggered. Maybe they feel like if they're both off the court at the same time, they can't run a functional offense. Those are all my guesses, but that's why, like you mentioned, you know, worrisome. It would be nice to have an idea as to what, what, what they're trying to do, why, why they're doing this. Yeah, and it's preseason, so Andy touched on it. It really matters who closes the game more. And in preseason, they're not going to throw out their closing lineups or they're not going to throw out like the full rotation. But I think probably the first month will give us an idea about the thought of Kate and Ivy together. Because if they're not closing games, then that should be panic mode, like, you know, red, red light, red flags, whatever. Where it's like, okay, now if you're not counting on both of these guys to close the game, then... It just seems like one of them will be moved. And the guy that's not closing the game is probably inevitably going to get moved, something like that. I don't want to like be all doom and gloom, but like I said, it is worrisome. Worrisome when the top two guys, perceived top two guys in your franchise aren't sharing the court together and there's no real explanation for why. It's just worrisome. I talked about it last pod and Andy just brought it up now. Maybe, maybe, maybe the thought is that Monty Williams is like, you know what, if Kane and Ivy aren't on the court, if at least one of them isn't on the court, I don't know how this offense is going to operate. Because then these guys both need double teams. Ivy's speed has to be accounted for at all times. He is a good passer to be able to do the drive and kick game, get open shooters when he gets into the rim. And Cade, again, he's just a maestro. He's going to find people no matter what. So maybe that's the thought process. But still, it's like... Give us something. Please give us something. Because we just need to we we all want to see Kate and Ivy together and know how this fit is gonna go down. And it's just been frustrating and worrisome that it hasn't happened so far in the preseason. And I know it's only the preseason and they say the preseason doesn't matter, but I watched Steph Curry close out a game in the preseason the other night and hit a game winner. And 
Steve Kerr even said he wanted to run the last couple of preseason games like regular season to make sure they have everything clicking on all cylinders. And for us, it, for the Pistons, it just seems like there's no importance on things that other teams make important. Like basically, if we're not running two bigs now, we wasted summer league reps with two bigs. And now in the preseason, we haven't even had our actual lineups together because the vets are either injured or maybe we're holding them out or, or whatever. But it's like we're going to go and tomorrow's a back-to-back preseason game. So I doubt anyone important is going to play tomorrow would be my guess. So it's just I just wonder how they feel like they're actually ready to start the season and like compete game one when games count. Yeah, I think they use the preseason as like, hey, let's just throw everything on the wall and see what sticks, which is why the K-90 thing is weird to me. You would think they would at least play that like one game to see like, okay, how this can work. Because I think they have tried out a bunch of different things. They've definitely played more dudes than Casey had played in the past. And they've run like three guard lineups. They've run different things. So that that's the one thing that sticks out is like, okay, you tried different things. Oh, the one thing you stayed consistent with and didn't mess with was Ivy coming off the bench and he and Kate not sharing the court together. Like maybe that was the commitment to be like, okay, we're going to try some wild things. And the wildest thing we're going to try is not playing these guys together. But I don't know. I'm just grasping at straws at this point because this is frustrating. I don't know what to make of it yet. We won't know what to make of it until, like I said, probably a month into the season when we see who, like the consistent closers are um, and all that stuff. Do you have anything else to add about Kate and Ivy? Because I'm pretty much tapped out. <laughs> nope, I'm I'm good there. What were your thoughts on who did play tonight, and what did you notice about that? So I think this game gave us basically the top seven in the rotation. There were only seven guys tonight that played over 20 minutes. And those seven guys were Rasar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, Kate Cunningham. And then Jaden Ivey. Last two guys were Killian Hayes and Marcus Sasser. I think that's the seven that this team wants to roll with. And it's one of the things I know you and I feel really good about with Monty Williams. It just seems like this seven is the youth guys that you would want to invest in. And all the other vets are kind of like filling in the gaps, you know, uh, Bagley and Joe Harris played around 15 minutes as did Stanley Moody. Uh, Alec Burks only played 13 tonight. He'll probably play more in the regular season. And then Wiseman only played 11 minutes, 14 seconds. Roden and Buddy Behan played under eight minutes. So again, the seven guys tonight that played more than 20 minutes were Marcus Sasser, Jaden Ivey, Dave Cunningham, Dillian Hayes, Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, Asar Thompson. I think that is the seven. They, they gave us that indication that, okay, these are the guys that we're going to consistently get 20 to 30 minutes per night. Obviously, Kate and Ivy, you know, Stu and Asar are probably going to get the most. And that's that's the positive sign. That's the most positive sign that I took away from tonight. And those guys also seem to be the dudes that they were playing no matter what in the preseason. Right, Andy? Yeah, I, I like that take. And uh, I guess, and not to focus on, on Weaver, but I mean, that would be something that I think he hasn't done in terms of Flipping his vets, even if it's not the best call, flipping his vets and then next season when you bring in more vets after the year, flip them again, 
just keep flipping them for even if it's small draft capital, because now we're at a point where we have like, I guess you could say too many vets. Like people are arguing about the rotation because we have enough vets that they could play and the young core could not get enough minutes. And what does that do? Maybe we win like three or four extra games, but in terms of development, that doesn't make any sense. So I guess that would be my, I mean, I love the fact that the young guys played. It made the game fun to watch. It was enjoyable. Even if we lose games like this, it wouldn't bother me because you see the young players, how they're trying to fit together, how they're learning, the mistakes they're making. I, I would love a season like this. That would make me happy. Yeah, and I don't care that Isaiah Stewart went 0-7 from three-point range. I don't care that Ivy went 1-4 from three-point range. I don't care that he had six turnovers. What I care about is that they care and that these are the dudes that we want to invest in. Everybody that I just laid out. Killian might be the exception, but for the most part, everybody else there are the young guys that the team wants to invest in, that the fans have been saying, like, hey, you should play them major minutes and they should be the ones that you want to see and build for in the future because they're going to be the ones that are here for the long haul. So, And the other part of it is stylistically, I do not care if they're going to be putting up bricks. I do not care if it looks ugly. I want this team to get into more rock fights. And Everybody I just laid out there, that's a rock fight kind of team. Massard, Stu, Duran, Killian, Cade, Ivy, and Sasser. I mean, Sasser and Ivy, like even the smaller guards, quote-unquote, even for me, who's criticized Jaden Ivey, he's never going to just lay down and die. He's always going to fight. And even if he struggles on defense, he's always trying to get it back on offense and remain aggressive and, and be that mismatch with his speed. So I really like that seven. And I, as again, the one takeaway, the biggest positive tonight, I think that seven is going to be the top of the rotation. And there's one guy in particular that Monty seems to be the most in love with. That probably is the biggest surprise to everybody, including people that are a fan of Killian Hayes, because he just seems like he's going to play him no matter what. And Killian has rewarded him by showing that, oh, I'm going to remain aggressive. I'm going to fill in little things on defense. And even tonight, Killian was essentially the three out there, which is amazing and speaks to his versatility. What do you think about Killian? Do you really think he's going to stick in this rotation? Um, I. I do, and I think he should. And that was one of the reasons why like, I feel like they do need to tra- trade a Burks or a Monte Morris or one of the vets because I want him to get minutes, and if he struggles, give more minutes to Sasser, or if he plays well, like just keep playing him because it's contract year for him. Like, they need to decide if he's worth an extension on a team-friendly price or if we're done and moving on and it's time to move forward. But I would, like, we've talked about it so many times. We would hate to move on from Gillian Hayes and then a year, two years from now, he's at least an average NBA shooter. Because if he's an average NBA shooter, all his other positives make him a bargain player or a backup point guard or backup wing defender. Because he's a smart basketball player. He's just got some confidence issues at, at times. So that's where my concern would be if we do play more vets and he doesn't get minutes until he fails. Like, if he fails, he fails. But give him this shot under a new coach because a new coach changes the environment. I mean, it's not a shot against Monty Williams, but if you look at Mikhail Bridges out in Brooklyn, 
Like he's doing way more than we thought he was capable of. And he probably could have helped Phoenix out way more, but they used him in a certain way. I don't think he's a number one that some people think he is, but still he's doing way more than he was before. Sorry for going off on a tangent. No, it's a good point. What if I were to tell you there was a European guard before Killian who had similar measurements, had four straight seasons to start his career of under 50% true shooting, had four straight seasons really of under 49.2% true shooting. And what if I were to tell you that that player ended up playing a very long time in the NBA, is still playing right now, and of course that player is Ricky Rubio. Well, I've said all along, I think Killian could mold into that kind of a player. And what do you know, Monty Williams talked about who when he was talking about, oh, you know who is integral in turning around the Phoenix Suns? Ricky Rubio, because he was a really good passer. He filled in gaps on defense. He was a good enough shooter. But he just spoke to the intelligence and the ability to run a first unit, run a second unit. But Rubio obviously was more advanced uh, he was in like his 10th or you know, ninth season, something like that, by the time he came to Phoenix. So Killian's obviously not there yet. But I do think the reason why Monty Williams has played Killian so much and believed in him, I think he sees similar traits to Ricky Rubio of being able to just stabilize the offense, get everybody lined up there, and fill in on defense. I think Killian's probably a better defender than Rubio was. Rubio is more positional, whereas Killian can play a pretty good man-to-man defense. Obviously not quite the shooter yet. Not like Ricky Rubio as Larry Bird or Ray Allen knocking down threes, but he became an average three-point shooter later on down the line once he got to like Utah in the second half of his career. Killian can just shoot something like 33% while continuing to be aggressive, have a good mid-range game, and be like over two to one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah, then of course, you've you got to keep him. And again, in the contract year, even if you don't re-sign him, if he continues to play like this, he's an asset that you could move for something of value. And bringing up another player who's not playing because he's injured, but, you know, livers, same thing. Like, we've only heard positive things from Monty, uh, Monty Williams about him, even though he's hurt and can't play. but. It's similar to Killian. He doesn't score points that jumps off the page, but he's intelligent. He knows how to rotate. He defends. Livers can shoot. But it's like that type of connective player that it's like they could play winning basketball and they can defend, which I think is what Monty Williams is like. I need more guys like that. That's how you win basketball games. Yeah, and for Killian, too, going back to him, he's so versatile. Again, tonight, he started alongside Dane and Asar. I mean, and then was able to play with Ivy from all the wrinkles and all the warts and all the bad things people have said about Killian and how his play hasn't been consistent. That is the one thing he's continued to do is just be versatile and just do whatever it is you want him to do and ask him to do that. Tonight, too, his stat line, eight points, two assists, one block, one turnover. Shooting splits were two of four from the entire field, one of three from three-point range, and then three of three from the free throw line. Give me a full season of that. Playing aggressive defense in the middle of it. Again, 30, I know everybody wants him to be a knockdown three-point shooter, but if he remains aggressive, plays good defense in 33%, that's one of those percentages that's like, I take enough of them and knock down enough of them that you can't sag off me. And again, it will open up the possibility that he can play with 
and Ivy to be another shooter. You can continue to play with Katie. You can play alongside Stasper. So, yeah, Killian Hayes had a fantastic preseason. I think he's one of the guys that Monty is going to keep in that top seven, like we said tonight. Any other guys you want to talk about in this top seven that we saw tonight, Andy? Well, one more note on Killian is I never thought of him as a great point of attack defender. But I think off ball, he's been a very good defender and he can actually defend players who are bigger than him better. I think the smaller, quicker guys give him trouble. But I think Asar is actually better at defending them, which allows Killian to defend the other guy, which I actually think they work better together than I honestly thought they would. I thought they would really struggle. And if Killian doesn't take the three and he moves into more of his mid-range area, if he's not shooting his mid-range shot, he has often found Asar cutting because Asar is a good cutter and Killian is a great passer. So I think that has, has worked out really well. Yeah, while they don't have similar games defensively, I think Killian could be like a Quentin Grimes, where Quentin Grimes is like 6'5", 205, 206, Killian 6'5", like 196. Yeah, Grimes is their wing defender in New York shooting guard, small forward. Killian can do that, like you just said. The smaller, quicker guys give him trouble, but if he's on shooting guards, not small forwards, then yeah, great. I do think if that was more of his thing, he probably does have to be like at least a 35% three-point shooter because he's probably going to be asked to space the floor out more and be more of a supplementary dude at that point. Um, but really depends on the lineups. If they played him more with Sasser, then probably less of a thing because Sasser, you just want jacking up threes. If you play between Sasser and Burks, that's probably the ideal. And then if you play alongside Cade, like Kate, I think we'll make enough threes that um, Ivy or Killian doesn't have to do that. Ivy's the one that is unclear yet, just because he hasn't shot incredibly well in the preseason and his role has yet to really be determined. But yeah, all the flowers to Killian. What do you think of the rest of this seven, though? Anybody else stand out to you you want to talk about? So I'm a Sasser fan, even though. I criticize the move of using extra draft picks to move up to get him, especially when there's wings available that the team could have used. But if you do get him, you got to play him. Like, you got to put him on the court. And he's shown that he belongs on the court. Like, he can play some backup minutes. He's going to make some rookie mistakes, which every rookie does. So you can't hate on him for that. But that's my concern is getting him and then just keeping him outside the rotation. It, it doesn't make sense. So I'm happy to see him getting playing time and I'm happy to see him not playing scared. He's just playing. Yeah, definitely. That's another through line with all seven of these guys in the, the top of the rotation tonight. They all play aggressive. Sasser was two of seven from three. You obviously don't want that to happen. But any volume three-point shooter will tell you, like, you just got to keep putting them up. And if you're that good of a shooter, you know you just go through slumps. Sasser started off the year terribly yeah, last year from three. Just go look at that Houston game. It wasn't until January where he really, like, kind of turned it around. And I remember thinking in the first, like, two, three months, like, oh, man, he made a mistake where he should have just gone out of the draft last year. But he turned it around because he's the top-notch shooter, volume shooter, but he did also have six assists and four rebounds tonight, scored 17 points. Then there was five or six from the free throw line. 
he's just contributing in a bunch of different ways. And like you said, he's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes, but he's a tenacious defender and knows how to play things. If you come out of Houston, you know how to defend. So, like, you just can't say enough, like, what you just said. If you got him, you got to play him. And that's the one thing I was really worried about with Sasser is like, okay, we traded up to get him, but is he just going to sit on the bench? But he's an upperclassman. You already know what his role is. And thankfully, he has been one of the ones, too, that Monty Williams has had nothing but praise for and talked about being aggressive and standing out in training camp and in preseason. I'm a big Monty Morris fan, so I'm always like, oh, man, I really want him to see him in the Pistons uniform. He's already done great work out in the community. He's from Flint, so I was for the Flint guys. But, yeah, Sasser and Killian have proven, like, actually a guard were pretty good. So if Monty doesn't come back right away or if they end up dealing him somewhere else, then it makes sense because these young guys, they look like legitimate Successful NBA backups. Anybody else in the seven before we move on, Andy? Well, I know this is an area that we've, you know, disagreed on because of Stu's three-point shooting. Yeah, so with uh, Stu, and it's not even about him struggling from three because even if he shoots a better percentage, I don't think he's going to face the floor. I think teams are going to be like, go ahead, we'll let you jack up as many shots as you want. Um he did drive to the basket more, and I think his numbers shooting inside in the preseason have been really good, but I don't think that's something that's sustainable. And even Monty Williams scared me when he talked about trying to post Stu up more because he is not a good rim finisher. So that would be my concern is just trying to get too much out of him but at the same time, I'm not like the fans that are just already quick, like throwing him away. Let him try and play the floor. Like, give him opportunities. We're going to have some ugly games, but let's see what we have. Let's see what he can become. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. He can become a third big or whatever. But uh, but that's the only part that I'm a little hesitant on is, like, tonight's starting lineup scared me because I was like, oh, the spacing in that starting lineup is not going to be good. Yeah, two names I want to throw out there but people worried about, you know, Beast 2 shooting from three. Jay Crowder. I know we think of Jay Crowder as a floor spacer, but really if you look at Jay Crowder's career numbers, 34.8% from three. And those first three seasons, well, two and a half technically because he was in Dallas the first two years and then traded over to Boston in the middle of the third one. He wasn't a great shooter. He only took two and a half or fewer three points per game. Never shot 35% or better. Even when he got traded to Boston, Jay Crowder took three three-point attempts per game in those final 57 games and shot 28.2%. So, yeah, I don't know anybody that was still believing in him. But then in year four in Boston is when he started taking more threes, five threes per game, and then was 33.6% from three. And then after that, like, he goes up and down. Really, Jay Crowder has only had one, two, three, four seasons where he shot over 35% from three. And he's been in the league for 12 years, I believe, 11 years. So think of that, too, because Jay Crowder was on Monty Williams' Phoenix Suns teams. He makes enough of them. That, that's my thing with Stu is he just has to make enough of them like a Jay Crowder to where – Oh, yeah, we have to respect him when we have to guard him. That's the thing that people are trying to get beef suited. That's the thing that Monty Williams is trying to get 
beef stew to do was like, just keep putting them up. If you make enough of them, defenses will have to guard you. And then that's what's going to make the difference. Another name that we talked about on Woodward Pistons before is Al Horford. Al Horford didn't take threes until year nine. He never, never, never was a floor spacer. It took a long time for that to come around. He always had a good jump shot, but it's a new skill. And Beef Stew's the same way. Like he never was a floor spacer before this. Go look at his stuff at La Lumiere in high school. Go look at his one season at Washington. He was a traditional back to the basket post player who just never really left the paint. So this is still super new to him. But the one thing, if you're going to not believe in him, is if he stops taking threes, then it's over. That's just the thing that's consistent with anybody that's become a better shooter is that they keep putting them up. If he stops taking them and he starts turning down open looks, then yeah, I'll, I'll be with everybody else. Like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out because if you don't put those reps in under live fire, then you're not going to get better. Did you have anyone else in those seven players that you wanted to touch on? No, I just feel vindicated in saying star to star from day one, that backdoor cut love that he got from Killian, like, give me 82 games of that, man. Like, if you take him out of the lineup, I, I'm going to be super pissed off. <laughs> yeah, we, we both were early on the star to star. Just start him. He's going to be one of our best wing defenders, and he proved right away that he is our best. And it's like, no, you got to start him. And then our final shared point, and then we'll move into like individual things Andy and I want to talk about, is Bojan and Monty Morris. There's been no timetable. There's been really no indication of when they're going to come back. What's going on with Andy? Why might that be? Um, I'm hoping they're sitting out because there's a trade that we're just really hoping is going to go through that we could move them for something. Or we were using the preseason just to see the young guys, which I understand. But I just feel like when the regular season starts, this team is not ready because, I mean, unless those guys are just practicing but not doing anything else when everyone else is around, when the media is around, it's just weird. Unless Detroit likes to always trade for someone who's going to start the season injured. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, well, I don't think a trade is going to happen like immediately. I mean, we've been on the trade bullion wagon for a while. I kind of think that the team has liked what they've seen out of the seven that we just mentioned. And behind the scenes, they're probably like, hey, guys, don't rush coming back. You know, it's it's a long season. You guys got to rest your body up. Maybe it is to like kick the, the can on a trade later on down the line. But I, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but I do think that part of it is like the Killian emergence and being able to rely on Sasser right now and getting a lot of positive things out of him. I don't know that Monty's worried about Boyan's defense, but there's certainly enough of us out there that are. Maybe that's part of it, too, is, is he's like, you know, I love Asar. I don't want to take him off the floor. I want Beef Sue to continue to be at that power forward, shoot threes. I still have Alec Burks here that plays the three very well. And then Killian showed he can like move over and do that stuff. I don't necessarily need Boyan right now. Maybe that's, that's part of it too. But I think it just 
reiterates the point, trade bullion. It's like, right? He's going to ruin the fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. Yes, he will make them a more functional offense with his floor spacing ability. But like we start off this, this pod saying it was just a fun watch seeing SARS run, seeing Beef Stew be aggressive, seeing Killian reemerge, seeing Kate out there, you know, leading the charge. As always, like, oh, you know, it's gonna kill that vibe. <laughs> well, I just think that people can inflate last season's numbers for him because he had a great I mean don't get me wrong his numbers were amazing last year but his role was very different I think his entire career he's a efficient bucket getter which that's not going to change but it's just completely different this season in where he has to fit in in terms of how he's going to get his touches how long he can handle the ball how many isos he's going to do all that stuff is going to be different but if Ivy really got sent to the bench because his defense is bad. I don't know how you just throw Boyan into the starting lineup and be like, well, because he's more efficient offensively and his defense is just as bad as yours, but his offense is efficient. We're still going to go with it. Just, I don't know. It's just a weird, weird messaging thing that, that I don't get. Yeah. And if you take Boyan out or take Boyan into the starting lineup, I assume it's Killian Hayes that's coming out of the starting lineup that was out tonight, which is the lineup that everybody's been saying is like Cade, Asar, Boyan, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran. What's going on with that lineup? I just laid out, Andy. Well, I mean, me and you disagree because I would like to see Cade, Ivy, Asar, Boyan and Duran. And I know you don't want to see any Boyan. You're like, give me more beef stew. I don't need to see Boyan. But uh, for, for me, I would like to see Boyan in there with those other four core pieces. But, uh, but yeah, I just think any lineup we throw him in, it gets a little wonky in terms of how everything fits. I just ask people, what do you want Boyan to do? I ask you that, Andy. What do you want Boyan to do? Well, all I want him to do is do what Joe Harris does. Just shoot the open threes and space the floor. Let the other guys create. And yes, I know Boyan has much more in his offensive bag than Joe Harris. But I don't care. I don't need that right now. I just need a floor spacer who's going to let the young guys get more minutes. Because the problem is, I think for like the last five years, Boyan's averaged over 30 minutes a game. And so those minutes are going to come away from other players who need those minutes to develop. Yeah, going back to the seven, uh, the top seven tonight that played, we don't want Bojan to replace any of those guys. And I think the team doesn't want Bojan to replace any of those guys either because that's who you want to invest in. That's who's going to be here in two to three years. when Bojan's not going to be here anymore. And Bojan's 36, 37 years old. And even if he is here, then he is going to be in the Joe Harris role of like, hey, play 10 to 20 minutes, stand in a corner, hit your open jumpers when you're there. You, you, you know, I threw you that softball. Bullion, you want to do exactly what Joe Harris does, just stand out there, hit the open three. And I think Burks is the other side of it of like, you would like Bullion to do what Burks does, which is, again, shoot open threes. 
be able to create off the dribble when Ivy or Cade kick it out to you and throw you like a grenade. If you don't know what a grenade is, a grenade is like there's three seconds left in the shot clock, nothing work, and they just throw it out to the guy that it can make a shot. I don't think Bojan is quite the grenade catcher that Burks is. And Burks gets to the free throw line way more than a Bojan does because of that ball handling ability and his athleticism isn't as diminished as, as Bojan's is. Again, Bojan's not a bad player. It's just for this team, everything indicates trade him, like move him out. On my end again, I think he's going to ruin the fun of the team of being able to run with like a star and Ivy and Kate and Killian, Beast to Duran. Bojan's not going to be running with those guys. He's going to be the trail three. So maybe you can say that, but you just don't want to invest in him anymore at this point when you have all these other guys that are showing promise, even at the end, like a Sasser and like a Killian. Yeah, maybe they just end up being like Javon Carter. Maybe Killian just ends up being like Ricky Rubio. You need those guys. This team needs that depth and then they can fill out the rest of the lineup in free agency or in draft. So, yeah, play the young guys, early on, you got to find a deal for them. Do you have any other uh, topics? Well, what about Monty Morris, though? That was the one thing I wanted to end with on the injury stuff. Like, he's got to be in the plans for the season, right? <sighs> do we really use plans? I mean, do we really plan things out? Because... I don't understand how you don't get him without the intention of playing him. And I don't think he's getting traded because, and you've brought this up many times, it's just awkward when a guy has home ties and you trade for him, you bring him in, he does all this stuff in the community, and then you just send him out someplace. I just think that's weird. But I know it is a business. So, you know, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. But, uh, I just, I've just been confused multiple years with Weaver's draft selection and then his free agency not really complementing his draft decisions and just give, leaving me puzzled on like, what are we doing? Um, and that's the problem with having, like, most people consider him to be like the best backup point guard in the league, which is fantastic. But if on our roster we have other people that are going to play in that role who need minutes, what good is it having the best backup point guard in the league unless you're going to sit the young guys? Like, you have to make a choice. I wonder if tonight's Killian starting alongside Cade and Ivy continuing to come off the bench, do you know who fixes that, that rotation there? You mean having Monte with Ivy off the bench? Bingo. Because Monte is a great point guard against five, over five to one assist to turnover ratio. We saw Ivy's six turnovers tonight. I'm not going to say that Ivy's going to have the ball like completely taken away from him, but when he's having an eye like this, that guy that has over five to one assist to turnover ratio and always like a career 39% three point shooter, those are the things that Ivy needs alongside him. And in the second unit, I know that, that those two are like a defensive nightmare for Piston fans. They're not going to lock down many, but on the bench unit, that doesn't matter as much. They can score a ton of points. And then you can figure out, okay, Killian's stinking it up tonight. Throw Monty in there or with Kate or throw Ivy in there with Kate. That four guard rotation there seems like, yo, know, this seems like something 
that works. And Monty Morris has the one skill that all the guards we have so far don't have consistently yet, and that's floor spacing. As much as I believe in Sasser as a volume three-point shooter again, he's a rookie, if you're counting on a rookie to be your best guard shooter, you're looking at winning like 15 games, Monty can come in and stabilize both the second unit alongside like an Ivy. If they continue to bring Ivy off the bench so he doesn't have to handle all that playmaking duty, he's also a great floor spacer that complements Ivy. Monty Morris is a great floor spacer that complements Ivy. And then he can also play alongside Killian or alongside Kate if you wanted to do those things. I think Sasser is probably the guard that gets bumped out a little bit once Monty comes back. And that Monty Morris is kind of like the transition between Sasser getting the backup um, unit that they want and like stabilizing and building good habits right now for these young guys. And he'd probably be like the eighth man because we laid out seven dudes. If I would say who's the eighth guy after that, Probably Sasser, or I mean, uh, probably Monty Morris. Too late here in Arizona. Yes, no, I, and I think emotionally he could be very beneficial to Jaden Ivy because he's just so steady. He doesn't turn the ball over after Ivy makes one of his crazy passes or a crazy turnover, or does something crazy, and he's getting all emotional. Next offensive possession, give the ball to Monte Morris, give it to the steady guy, get us into a good set, get us back on track. Yes, I think that could definitely work out. But then I just feel like you got if you're going to give him minutes, you got to eliminate minutes from another vet somewhere and ship someone else out. But since he's younger, he's someone that I wouldn't mind extending and, and keeping around longer. Yeah, he and Burks, like I feel like they are nice glue guys. Maybe not necessarily in the way that people think of blue, blue guys like Tishon's probably the preeminent blue guy that people think about where he's a fist starter. He fills in all little holes on defense and does the one thing on offense, which for Tishon, it was like spacing the floor out for the other guys you want. But as we've said a lot with Burks, like he can play shooting guard, small forward. He can space the floor out. He can get to the free throw line, do all those other things that Monty can, Monty Morris can. I know we keep on saying, I keep trying to say Monte because that's how you say Mon, Monte Morris and Monte Williams, but Monte Morris takes care of the ball. He knows how to play point guard at a high level and can space the floor out and just this calming presence. So, then the community work. Yeah, the community work, like you just can't turn that down. You got to have him here a couple of years, in my opinion. So, shout out Monte Morris. Hopefully, you get back healthy fast. Um, so now we turn the floor to each of our own individual interests. Andy, let's start with you. What, what do you want to talk about? What, what's on your mind with these Pistons? Um, I think tonight's game is was a good example on, even though everyone thinks I'm so negative and down on this team, it is such a fun team. Like, we are in such a good position. The future is so bright. I just disagree with some of the things that have happened in the trades and some moves that have been made that I think cost the team more than it needed to. And I don't think the team is as good as most people think, but it's still in a very, very good position. And, you know, on Twitter, there's something about, you know, the old heads and the young heads, like just being in different positions. And I understand both sides of it. Um, I just want to have enjoyable, fun basketball to watch. And 
even if the team doesn't win a lot of games, that won't depress me if I get to see the young guys playing. That's what I want to see because that's that's the future. I mean, it honestly doesn't matter how good Burks or Joe Harris or Boyan play because they ain't here in two years, three. They're just they're gone. It's not not going to matter. So I want to see the young guys getting their playing time. And just understand we're not going to win that many games, guys. Yeah, one of the positive things to take away from this preseason is they played OKC twice and they beat them twice. I mean, I, I, I hate people that are like, preseason doesn't mean anything. And then they turn around and they're, they're like, oh, look at these amazing stats or whatever. But when you play a team twice, like, and you beat them both times, I think that says something about the team caring and also that they can, you know, handle adjustments. So that's one thing. And again, it's the young guys that are leading the charge. Top seven tonight, as we stated in the previous OKC game in Montreal, it was like Sasser, Osar, and Stanley Moody leading the charge back in the fourth quarter. Positive signs. And they're fun players to watch, man. Fun players to watch. Please, please, please just let them get out and run and have these rock fights. Like, I, again, I don't care if people break it from three all these nights. I don't care if they have turnover struggles or whatever. They're just trying as hard as they can, and they're playing down to the wire. I mean, there was some alley-oops to Asar and to Duran. It was just so much fun. I mean, and, you know, Bagley got a dunk in over chat. Like, it was just it was just fun. It was fun. And that's yeah. Let me watch some fun basketball. That's what I want to see. Absolutely. I could not have said it better myself. Mine is uh, more on the negative side of things. I, I talked to Andy beforehand. He already knows what I'm about to say. 62 points. That's how many points in the paint Pistons gave up tonight. It was 40 and 42 in the previous two games. 62 is just abysmal. Like, um, it just reiterates my demand that this team get a defensive center, even if it's in the back. You know Duran's going to have his struggles. That's fine. You live with those. But, man, Bagley and Wiseman, like, they're just not cutting it defensively. So I still think this team needs, absolutely needs a defensive center. Even if Bojan was traded for something, quote-unquote, lesser or whatever. I've said it before, if it returned like Poku or if it returns something like that, this young defensive center, Brandon Clark, another one we've said, I know he's injured right now. But man, just, they're just giving too many points up in the paint. It's it, that's the part of it to me that that almost kills the fun because it's just like rolling out the red carpet in the paint. Man, they got to do something about it. And you, your point just fits along with what I said in terms of I'm happy with this young group, but we've just made decisions that don't make sense if we want to win because. The expectations you're putting on Duran to develop as a defensive center are just completely unrealistic in how long it takes to be really good defensively at the center position. We're talking, and yes, we need to see improvements to know he's capable of doing it, but we're talking about multiple seasons here. Like if you want to win, you would have got a veteran center who can play that position and Honestly, close games if we need a game closed to win or if Duran's making mistakes, you pull them and say, these are your mistakes. The veteran goes in like, but we didn't do that. 
And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to rag on Wiseman anymore because what's done is done, but that's just a decision that the organization made that makes no sense if you want to turn the corner and compete and win. It just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and if anything, the starting lineup tonight, Killian, Cade, Hassar, Beastu, you know who that helps out the most is Durin. Because all of those dudes know where to be on defense. Cade and Beastu line everybody up. They're fantastic communicators. I think if that was like the starting lineup that ended up being the main starting lineup down this season, that's probably the reasoning behind it is they're like, we need the unit that is not just going to make Jalen Duran, you know, run around out here and have to do a bunch of different things. These guys that understand their position on defense, they understand what to do so they don't leave the young dude out to dry all this time. That is the one thing that I think not enough people talk about with the starting lineup tonight is all of those four guys around Duran. They will not leave him hanging out there in space. They will keep him in the paint. They will feed him the guy that he can get the two blocks that he got tonight. So that's probably one of the things. But as far as the backups, Kim Birch just became available. The San Antonio Spurs just released him. I think that's a good idea for them to call somebody like that and get him in the building because you just need a rim runner guy like that that plays defense who can solidify the backup unit. I mean, they probably win like two more games if they have a guy like that. It's not going to make a gigantic difference. But like you said, in terms of building good habits and in terms of teaching the young guys, I mean, it's the staff right now. It's all on the coaching staff to develop Jalen Duran, because Bagley and Wiseman, they're just not, they're not defenders. They're just not, not that kind of guy and not that kind of player. Yeah, and it's one thing to have a coach who's helping you and developing you versus having a vet who's doing it and showing it, showing it to you in practice and in games and talking to you about the mistakes that you're making, but he's actually doing it. He's not coaching you and talking to you. He's, he's demonstrating it to you. I think that makes a big difference in, in terms of development. Yeah, but man, 62 points in the paint when I saw it and I was like, oh, it's going to be a long season on defense. What's your next point, Andy? I I think for me, I'm good. I'm good. What What else do you have? What do you make of Kate and Ivy's play in preseason? Because if I'm being honest, I'm underwhelmed by it, but I'm not concerned for it. I just think something is going on to where they're kind of being instructed. Don't show everything. So. I'll kind of look at it like summer league in terms of a second year prospect, high, high draft pick. And so early draft pick, like a top five pick in their second summer league. You just want to, you just want them to show off a little bit like, yeah, I'm too good for this. And then they don't have to do anymore. You haven't left with that feeling at all that it's like, Oh, these guys, like, Jordan Poole, for an example, just threw down like 40 in like three quarters against who knows who he was playing. And yet it doesn't have to be efficient. It doesn't like it doesn't have to be. But my all I'm trying to say is like you can just know that the guy can do it like at all. This guy can do that. I don't leave the preseason feeling like, oh, I know exactly what this guy is going to deliver. I still believe in Cade. I think his three point shot has looked better. 
but it's just been such a small sample and there's just been just so many times where it's just everything just seems a little slow and a little off i don't know we just, he missed a whole season he's going to need time to work that rust off which i totally agree he's probably not going to play the second night on back-to-backs for most of the season at least i wouldn't have a playing so it's just one of those situations where it's like are the expectations too high but i think sometimes and i've said it before that we're just an organization that doesn't seem to prioritize the little things that i think matter in terms of building a winning culture and maybe that's what Monty's doing by by benching Jaden Ivey is he's trying to say, no, this is my requirement. This is my standard. This is what you have to do. Um, but it is weird. It's just, it's, I don't know. There's just something doesn't feel right about it is probably the easiest way, way for me to describe it. Yeah, the way I've thought about it is to me, it seems like both guys haven't gotten out of first gear when you watch them play. You've seen Ivy run the court. But if you remember last season, and again, speaking as somebody who scouted him for, or is this like the third season now? Well, the, technically, this will be the fourth season that I've seen him in depth. Like by the third quarter, like he's made an impression and he's made the defense like have to tag and do these extra things of like, yo, we got to eliminate you at the rim. Like he's made what, maybe four or five runs all preseason, right? He just has not been that downhill and Kate, we all know he's unselfish but the way he's played in preseason is like unselfish to a fault he's really looked to get everybody else involved i want to the the fan in me wants to say that again they're in first gear and that maybe they've been instructed of like hey we want you to play this way but we don't want you to necessarily like throw everything out in the bag like jordan pool did the other night um but yeah, I know. I, I understand why people are worried. If I had to point to one thing, I think it would be that because it is both of them. It's not just I coming off the bench. And I know you and I have talked on and off camera about maybe he's on his head a little bit. He's looked kind of off. But I think Kate has looked off too. And like I said, maybe it is part of going in, coming back from the injury and just getting his lungs back or getting his feet back, something like that. I, I don't I don't know what to make of it. I just feel like every time I talk about it, I'm doing what I just did now, like saying, well, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, you know, just coping <laughs> with it and saying, like, please don't let it be that they're both not going to work out. Um, well, to look at last season, and I know Kate only played 12 games, but in those 12 games, he was up and down in terms of it looked like he was doing a lot of processing and thinking and just things looked uncertain. And then he had a few games where everything was clicking and just the way he kind of feels the game and kind of controls the game. I could see him taking a little time because this whole team is basically a whole new team for him. Like none of these guys have basically played together and then you throw a whole new coach into it. So there's all these moving parts. So I understand if it looks ugly in the beginning, but I do want to see like tonight's first quarter, there were some positive signs and that's what I want to see. I want to see positive signs of things clicking and maybe they told Jaden like it's preseason. We do not want you attacking the basket like a crazy person because we're not going to have you roll an ankle to start the season. Like you're not doing that. Yeah. Which would be smart. So yeah. And, and what something you, 
I thought of while you were speaking is I haven't seen too much of the issue of Jaden Ivy always being on the floor. I remember last year, he's like always on the floor. Like he'd shoot it, he'd fall on the floor. He'd drive, he was always just falling on the ground constantly. But like you said, he hasn't been really attacking. So maybe if he starts attacking, he'll start falling again. Don't make me remember why I didn't like Jaden Ivey coming out of the pre-draft process. You're right, he hasn't been doing that. Hopefully it is something he's uh, eliminated and being more of the like, you know, ref lawyer trying to plead his case all the time. Because those things like, come on, man. Um, but one thing I do want to point out with Cade, 14, 6, and 6 were his stats tonight. 5 of 10 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, and then 2 of 2 from the free throw line. I remember there were certain people that compared Cade to Jason Kidd coming out. That seems like a very Jason Kidd-like stat line where like you don't see gaudiness, but you're like, okay, he got everybody involved. He scored enough points to continue to be a threat. And the one thing, the one thing Cade always does, you just see him affect the guys he's on the floor with. Everybody, everybody, everybody in that starting lineup had a positive plus minus. Cade's was plus eight. Killian's was plus five. Jalen Duran's plus 10. Stu's was plus 12. And Asar Thompson's was plus 12. I think that's Cade's most, like, the thing that people don't talk about enough and it's hard to quantify. You have to watch the game. You have to rewatch the game. You have to look at it again to see these little things that he does to get everybody involved, line people up on defense, to attack and use his own offense at the right time and the right spot. Like, they, yeah, because I was thinking, like, if his end of the season stat line was like 14, 6, and 6, I'm like, I think I would be disappointed. But then when I was looking at that and looking more, at the film, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I would be disappointed because that, that would point to me like, oh, this is probably like Grant Hill again, where he's going to lift up a lot of other dudes because he does these little things. He might not stop the stat line every night, but he makes winning plays in every facet of the game. Yeah, and if you take those numbers and put it over, you know, 30 to 33 minutes, then you're looking at like a 28 and 8 or a 29 and 9, and it's like and and I honestly believe Cade will look much better when you have more talent around him. He's just going to find a way to maximize everyone around him, make the players around him better. I think that's one of his best skills that, like you mentioned, doesn't get noticed. Because in the end, some people do just look at the box score and say, oh, he shot this, or oh, he did that. or he did. But it's like, no, you you saw a cut, or you saw this, or you saw that. And I mean, so many other players who have played with him have said afterward, like, oh, I learned a lot like playing with him because of just how he thinks about the game and, and how he sees the game. And I mean, one thing for me and my, I guess my closing thought is I'm going to be really looking at a few games when the regular season starts, like in the first 10 games, the game against Charlotte, the game against Chicago, the game against Oklahoma city and the game against Portland. So basically those four, like weakest teams that are in the, the first 10 games. God bless your heart for watching the Charlotte. Yeah. How, how do they look against those teams? Because for me, that's going to tell us a lot early. If we lose those games and we don't look good in those games, I think it's a sign that things, it could be a very, very ugly season. Um, 
But on the same note, if we look competitive and we look like we belong in those games, it could be a very positive sign. I just think it's hard to get anything out of the preseason because of our roster situation. Yeah, and I'm sure like if, you know, Scoot Henderson goes like 19 of 20 for one night or whatever, you can chalk it up to being like, oh, they just had a on streak or maybe the Jeremy Grant revenge game, you know, something uh, along those lines. But yeah, I, I tend to agree, especially if you come out flat against all of those teams, then that would be a major red flag. And Piston teams in the past have done this where they play really well against the good teams and then they just lay in it against the bad teams because it's almost like they're like, yeah, we don't have to take this serious. That would be the biggest shift in culture is if they dominate the teams they're supposed to and don't take anybody for granted. Because I feel like that's been the consistent thing with Piston teams in the past, probably ever since going to work. Like the ones that have been decent to good, they just didn't take everybody seriously enough. And that, and that needs to be number one thing with this team. It's like every night they take them deadly serious. Yeah, because like I think last season, I think they beat like Golden State twice or something. And it's like on the very next game, we're playing like another lottery team and like we get blown out. And it's like, what what are we doing? So, yeah. but Yeah. And there was all those like, hey, look at this Piston Dwayne Casey teams with the winning record against his old team, the Raptors. And it's like, yeah, but they're still like 10 and 25. Oh, yeah. But uh I'm excited for the this, this season to get started. I, I really wonder if anyone is going to play in tomorrow's preseason game. I have no idea why they're doing a back-to-back preseason game. I mean, I don't know. What do you mean? It's the players' fault because they're resting when they shouldn't, Andy. It's not like the NBA can control the schedule to you know, space the games out further or you know like take better care of the players and do it on a scheduled day like the NFL does. It's the players' fault, Andy. Well, I'm pretty sure that the teams are responsible for their preseason schedule. So I think the Pistons did this. Like, it's I don't know. Have- the league in general that are doing this. So we'll have an episode of that somewhere down the line with this, you know, new load management rule, which I think is absolutely the, one of the dumbest things ever in the NBA should be doing something else about it. But that's probably another conversation for another time. Get ready for Buddy Bayheim tomorrow night. 30 minutes of Buddy and Stanley and Tosani Woma. Sasser will probably play a lot more still tomorrow night, right? I I don't know with this team. I just I I don't know. Maybe we finally see some John T. Porter. That's where I get into my draft sicko. Xavier, shout out, go blue, Xavier Simpson, Malcolm Kazalon. They're gonna play a lot tomorrow night. So I'll be excited to see the guys further on down the line go out there. But who knows if they'll end up making any waves in G League or being able to get up to the roster. I would love to see Jonte Porter get some minutes. Just show me that we have a potential big who can stretch the floor. I'm I'm all for it. Like, all for it. I hope when he gets it, he doesn't hesitate. You better let that big fly. Yeah, definitely, man. So the thing we're going to end on is this Pistons discussion, question mark, of the old guard versus the new guard. Sean Corp over at Detroit Bad Boys just wrote this article today that dropped saying how pessimistic he is on this team, but how he wishes he didn't have to be pessimistic about this team. And there have been the discussion of, of quote unquote, the new guard, like the implication, the implication is that younger fans don't know enough about Pistons past 
to really be jaded and like they're buying into it being really optimistic. Whereas the older people who've been around for a while and seen everything post Chauncey Billups trade, like they just see a lot of signs that this team isn't going to be good. So they've been negative. I think that's a little bit reductive. I don't know what your thoughts are on Andy, but I feel like you and I kind of skirt the line between the two. It's like you've said multiple times tonight, you know this team is going to be fun. You also know they're not going to win very many games. What do you make of this, again, discussion question mark? Um, well, I think for me it's hard because I turn it into a, a Troy Weaver thing. And it's not just, you know, picking on him, but I think someone posted a graphic of like the 2019 lineup or like five players from 2019 and compared it to five, the five players we have now, like our cores and just about how much great work that he's done. And in my opinion, the reality is if you are getting a lottery pick every year for like three or four straight seasons, okay, you should have three or four young core players. So what else did you do? Like, and if they're like, well, the books look good. If you don't sign any big contracts for three or four years, yeah, your books would be great. Like you didn't do anything. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of general managers, they like the trade for the draft picks because you can sell hope and future promises that will be better someday will be better when the young guys get better and for some people who have been like yeah i heard that story 15 years ago and i'm still waiting for our next playoff it's things like that where the old heads are like oh i've i've seen this story before and i don't want to buy it anymore but then you can look at the lions and realize no things can change it's possible yeah, thank you for bringing on the Troy Weaver thing, too, because that's part of the discussion of kind of getting lost in it. It's like people that are diehard Troy Weaver stands versus people who've been skeptical or shout out to Scott, people who've been like Scott, who just have expletive lace tirades wishing for Troy Weaver's demise. Like, so there are people on, on like extreme ends when it comes to discussing Troy Weaver, and I think that's probably the heart of the discussion is whether or not you believe what he's done is a good thing or a bad thing. When we've talked about it before, like maybe this is the year where they're playing for his job. What I've come down to it, because I've been critical of Weaver, like the Sadiq trade is probably the best example of, of me thinking, I don't know what exactly his talent evaluation process is. But for me, I remember that clip of like, you know, I'm going to empty the clip. Something like that, right? Like every time I'm going to take a shot, I'm going to you know fire away and empty the clip. If he ends up getting fired, like people should go back to that clip because you know what happens when you do that? You run out of bullets eventually. And I think that's part of what like the quote unquote old head discussion is, is they're starting to see like, I think he's running out of bullets or maybe he's already running out of bullets. And the one thing people point to with that is that pick that's still owed to New York. Like we have no idea when that pick is actually going to convey because it's just rolling over perpetually now as this team continues to be bad. And one day, eventually it is going to have to convey to New York. So that that's part of it too. But I don't like this reductive of like, is the young kids versus the old people. I don't think it's that simple. 
Um, so being somebody, being an old hand who teaches 18 to like 20 year olds, uh, you know, at any university, I think part of it is just communication and, you know, slang and lingo, the way that the younger generation talks. A lot of them speak in hyperbole and want to believe in things as probably we did, right? When, when we were younger. And I think it is the old heads that don't know how to communicate in, in those terms as well. Like things are lit, inspire. You know, he's the goat, he's him, Jimmy Neutron and all that. Speaking as an old man who that shit hurts me, and yes, that is one of the few times where I curse because that's how people feel who are my age about that. I think it has that undertone more in it. It's like, we don't like uh, the way you talk and that you, you can't handle criticism. I, I do think there is the, that, that part of it too on the old head side though. It's like the people who really want to believe in it, they don't want to hear the other side of it. So not to say that all the old heads are more open ear to it, but I think the ones that are in the public consciousness, especially on Twitter, like Duncan Smith, Laz Jackson, Sean Corp, you and I, you know, we're all kind of the old older heads. Like we listen, we want to hear. And shout out to Aaron Vincent, who was on here too, and another older Pistons fan. That's why. I had him honest because I wanted to have a discussion between two of us. And he's one of the ones that more or less believes in it. And he's a quote unquote old head along there. So, I mean, it boils down to like, what do you think about Troy Weaver? And I think it is this like generational communication thing that a lot of us old heads get perturbed by the hyperbole. But on the same token, like, like you, if you can't recognize your old, old man tendencies, and if you're a younger fan and you don't want to actually listen to like the points that the older people have brought up, then yeah, it's going to just continue to be anarchy. I, I think that's a very good point because I do think there are some people who, and actually there's a lot of people that it turns into an argument whenever you have like the opposite opinion of them instead of just a discussion. like. These are my reasons why I have doubts in this roster or how it's constructed or how they're going to play. And some people, they make this leap of, oh, so you don't believe in Cade. Oh, you don't believe in this guy. Oh, you don't believe in that. It's like, that's not what I said. I, I said what did you I, say about KCP? Yeah, it's, it's just like we, we just make these giant leaps where it's like, uh, no, that's, I'm just saying that I have concerns about all this stuff that it may not work out. And in your mind, you're, you've already penciled um, Cade, Asar, and Ivy and Duran in multiple All-Star games. And it's like, okay, well, what franchise has drafted like three drafts that got that many multiple All-Stars? Oh, so that doesn't really happen. Oh, okay. So it's just, you know, just being able to look at things. And of course, yeah, we all have our own biases and blind spots that we tend not to look at. But, you know, just trying to have rational conversations instead of just being unmoved and unwilling to change your opinion. Yeah, and that's the thing that's shared between, quote unquote, the old guard and the new guard. The ones that are having the most like venomous arguments back and forth, whether they're young, whether they're old, they both share that they don't want to listen to the other person's point of view. And they're just bullish that this is going to happen. So. Yeah, if you're doing that, then you're a part of the problem. But if we can't enjoy this basketball team, if you don't want to talk about how much fun it's going to be, even though we might believe that it's going to be bad, 
And even if we're proven wrong, us, those of us that believe that this team is like 27 to 29 win team, we will be happy to be proven wrong. That's the thing that I do not get is like, do you think that we take pleasure? And if they're not a bad team, we're all going to be like, Mah. you know, we'll be happy to be proven wrong. We've said that multiple times already. If they're playing team, then man, we're just going to have an even more fun time this year. But even if they don't, we're still going to have fun. And if, if you need that optimism, like have fun and be in your fandom, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, if they're a playing team, I'm going to the game. Like, I mean, I'll be the happiest person in the world. I'll be so happy to be wrong. And you've mentioned it before. I just think that Weaver's margin for error is getting smaller and smaller. Because, I mean, some people are like, I was saying, you know, our ceiling is like 30 wins. But there's a bunch of people who are like, well, if we only win 25, then we should really consider like firing him. Like this whole thing is a disaster. You're talking about five games are determining like what is like a great, like, oh, this was a good season. And if this guy's got to go. This is the worst thing ever. It's a disaster. Really? Five games? Like that's going to be, so the margin of error is shrinking. Yeah, we'll put a, put a pin in that. Like I said, the whole idea of Troy Weaver emptying the clip. While we all like that, that quote and that mentality, we shall see. You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You succeed by emptying the clip or you just get shot up because you ran out of bullets. So put a pin in that. We will definitely return to that at, at a later date. So Andy, do you have anything else you want to add tonight? Nope. That, that sounds like a good way to wrap it up. That was good. All right. So let the people know where they can find you one last time. All right. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. We're here. We got one more week. See, I've already forgotten about tomorrow's preseason game because I don't even know what that's going to be like. But next week, we got real basketball. Yeah, so if you want to see Buddy Beheim, Malcolm Casalon, Xavier Simpson, Dante Porter, then tune in tomorrow night because they're definitely probably going to be playing. But, man, so close, so close, so close to opening night. Can't wait to see this team in action. And I still believe Kate and Ivy are going to be closing the games out together. I still believe that. So... Thanks again for everybody listening. Thanks again, Andy. It's been one year of Res Ball. Today is my one-year anniversary. I published the first episode on October 19th, 2022. So I was going to record a pod solo, but then Andy talked about recording on Thursday. And I was like, let's do the one-year anniversary episode tonight together then. So thanks for coming along on this ride with me, Andy. Hopefully this podcast will be running for many, many years to come. Slowly creeping up to 100 episodes, too. I believe this is episode number 73. It's either 73, 74, but yeah, we'll, we'll probably get to 100 by the end of the year. I, I didn't realize it was such a big occasion. That is awesome. Keep up the great work, man. I know you work hard. You're a grinder. Yeah, you're right back at you. You couldn't do this without you. Definitely couldn't do the piston one solo, but the draft stuff, I think I can just go off you know, on a tangent or whatever. But I think for a specific team, Ones, it's always good to have multiple voices and have the back and forth. You know, we haven't had too many major disagreements, but I always think disagreements are made for good podcasts, fodder. Yes, you are definitely a draft sicko, though. That is like, seriously, it's impressive. Yeah, check out the next episode where I'll reveal my top player for the 2024 NBA draft, who I really feel strongly like it's not going to change. And if you do want to change it, then I'm going to have strong opinions towards you as well. So check out that next time. Again, thank you for a year of Res Ball. I couldn't do this without everybody here listening. Uh, he has so much. And 
we will catch you next time. We're going to 